Oh, it got turned off. Or How about now? Is it coming through? Okay. Wave me down if it messes up again. I'll just use this one. Uh, we are continuing the, the uh, series, Not Your Average Joe. And that is looking at life lessons from the biblical character of Joseph, uh, who's in the book of Genesis. Uh, and you all learned about him and his coat of many colors uh, when you were a child, most likely. But there's a lot more to his story than just that. But this morning, we're, uh, we're continuing that, and we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture. And I've entitled this message, The Trip of a Lifetime. Now, if I give you those words, what comes to mind? The Trip of a Lifetime. For some of you, it might be senior trip coming up. You just can't wait to graduate and get away and go on that big trip. It's going to be the best thing you can ever imagine. For some folks, it's a honeymoon that they look to. Uh, other folks, it's a, it's a retirement trip. This trip I've waited a whole lifetime and now I'm going on this trip. Uh, for some time, for some folks, it's a, it's a seafaring voyage, right? We've just had a couple who've gone on one of those. And uh, th those, are, those are fun. Uh, cruises are more fun. But um, there's all kinds of trips. Some of you want to go to the Holy Land one day. You're like, man, I can't wait to go to Israel. And that is the trip of a lifetime for you. So we would have a lot of different ideas about this. But what they would all have in common would be that we're going to leave where we're going and we're going somewhere special, somewhere meaningful, somewhere that's, that's something different than we have ever experienced before. Well, we're going to see uh, today the beginning of Joseph's trip of a lifetime. But the interesting thing, in contrast to most of us, when we think of this trip of a lifetime, we plan on going and coming back. Joseph didn't really realize that his little trip was going to become a bigger trip and then an even greater trip, and that he would never again return to home. I want you to understand that here we are, just in chapter 37, the story of Joseph goes all the way to chapter 50, the very end, but never during Joseph's lifetime does he ever return back home to his family. So this is indeed the trip of a lifetime in more ways than one. So I want to ask you if you would please stand with me now in honor and reverence for reading of the Word of God, as we begin Genesis chapter 37, we begin reading in verse 12. His brothers, Joseph's brothers, went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are, you not, are not your brothers feeding in the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And so he said to him, Here I am. Then he said to him, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring back word to me. So he sent him out to the valley of Hebron and he went to Shechem. Now a certain man found him and there he was wandering in the field and the man asked him saying, what are you seeking? So he said, I am seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, they have departed from here for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. Now they saw him afar off. Even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. Then they said to one another, Look, this dreamer is coming. Come therefore, let us now kill him 
and cast him into some pit, and we shall say, some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what has become of his dreams. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands, and said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands, and bring him back to his father. So it came to pass, when Joseph had come to his brothers, they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And then they sat down to eat a meal. And then they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, what profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened. Then the Midianite traders passed by. So the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. Then Reuben returned to the pit, and indeed Joseph was not in the pit, for he tore his, and he tore his clothes. And he returned to his brothers and said, The lad is no more. Where shall I go? So they took Joseph's tunic, killed a, uh, killed a kid of the goats, and dipped the tunic in the blood. And there they sent the tunic of many colors. And when they brought it to their father, they said, We have found this. Do you know whether it's your son's or not? And he recognized it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his waist and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and daughters arose to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted, and he said, For I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Now the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and a captain of the guard. Father God, we pray that you would take your word and use it in our lives in a powerful way to help us understand that you are with us wherever you may be seated. We'll stick with this one. So we talked last week about Joseph, about how his brothers could not stand him. They could not stand him because he was the baby of the family, almost. There was one younger than him. But uh, I did a little research this week and found out that, that Benjamin didn't come along. They estimate, scholars estimate, seven to ten years later. And, and then that is when uh, his mother died giving childbirth to Benjamin. And so he was the baby of the family for a long time. He was the child of the favorite mother. And we talked about all the craziness in, in this family that Jacob ended up with four different wives. Never something God told him to do. Something he got tricked into in the beginning and talked into later, adding number three and number four. And all this crazy mess that was happening in his family. And Joseph was here. He was the favorite son. He was the one that... You know, the father looked at, oh, he's, that's my baby boy. And, you know, he made him special clothing. He treated him well. 
So the other brothers, they couldn't stand him for that. And there was obvious favoritism. They also couldn't stand him because he was, he was just the good child. Everybody listened to what he said. And one day he went and the Bible tells us he made a bad report on his brothers. And uh, come back home and tells dad, hey, dad, they're not doing what you told them to do. And so they were even more angry with him. And then he comes up with these dreams. God gave him dreams. And there was a couple of different ones that the Bible shares. And they all basically point down, uh, point to the fact that one day all of his family was going to bow down before him. Well, they didn't like those dreams at all. And so we talked last week about how God can work through you no matter the dysfunction around you and, and no matter the dysfunction in you. And there was some of both in Joseph's life. And so we pick up the story today and here's Joseph. And once again, it's time to make a report. Why was Joseph at home and the other boys were out there working hard? Well, once again, he was the favorite. He had special status. Some reason he was allowed to stay at home while the other older brothers, and he was 17, by the way, he was certainly capable of going out with the other brothers and, and working, but there he was at home. And after a while, Jacob, also called Israel, Jacob said, you know, those boys have been gone a while. I haven't seen them. I want you to go out and check on them, and I want you to you know, to come back and give me a report about what's going on. Are they okay? Are they doing what they're supposed to do? And so Joseph heads out where he's supposed to go. Dad says, well, I sent him out to, to take the, the flock out to that area of Shechem. And he walks over there to Shechem, and he gets there, and, and he's just walking around in a field. He is clueless. It's like, I don't see my brothers anywhere. Oh, man, when I tell Dad. I mean, they are gone far away from where they're supposed to be. Wait till I find them. But he is just wandering around in the field, the Bible says, when all of a sudden some nameless man comes up and says, uh, Buddy, are you okay? What, what's, <laughs> you wandering out in the field by yourself. Is everything all right? You need anything? And he said, Man, I can't find my brothers. He says, uh, Okay, well, I, uh, I, I heard them talking. When they were here, and they said something about going over to Dothan. It was a Dothan was a better place. Now, um, <clears throat> I don't know anything about Dothan. I know a tiny bit about Dothan, Alabama. Some of y'all ever heard of, of Dothan, but I don't know anything about Dothan in the Bible. Just that it's another place, and and he had to travel a little bit longer to get over there. And, but finally, he's coming, and and the brothers see him coming. Isn't this interesting? There are certain people that you can tell just from the way they walk. Before you can even clearly make out their facial features, everybody, you know, we've all got our own special trot, don't we? We've got, we've got the way we walk and talk and move. And so they make him out from afar. And even more than that, I imagine it was that coat. I mean, they looked and they said, oh, who else? would have the audacity to wear this coat of many colors out here in the desert other than little daddy's boy that, that we need to deal with. And they start getting angrier and angrier as they talk about him. They see him in the distance and they talk about him. And they, someone finally says, let's just kill him. You know what? He's out here. He's going to give another bad report. And let's just do away with him right now while we've got the chance. And some of you think... Well, now, that, that couldn't have been serious, right? Remember last week we said there was a whole bunch of real-life dysfunction and hate. And what I didn't tell you last week is that some of the brothers had already proved themselves capable of murder. 
You see, if you turn back the pages of Genesis, there's a story, and it's, a, it's an ugly story. I mean, it's an ugly story. It reminds me of something my mother once told me that I have a great-grandfather that I never knew who said once upon a time, he said, the Bible is a dirty book. Now, why would someone say the Bible is a dirty book? Well, he had actually had a strict religious upbringing that he had rejected, and he turned away from God. But he knew that there were some stories in there of some people doing some really bad stuff. And so according to him, the Bible was a dirty book. Well, let me tell you something. The Bible isn't a dirty book, but it tells us about some dirty people and some dirty deeds that they have done. And these brothers had, I won't go into all the situation, but somebody messed with their sister and they got mad enough that they went and killed every single man in, in a tribal village where only one man had done wrong. They killed all of them. Okay, so these were not guys you wanted to mess with. These were guys that were used to shedding blood. And they see him coming and they say, we're going to kill him. And this seems to be kind of a general consensus. We're going to take him out. We're done with him. We're tired of daddy's boy always getting us in trouble and always getting all the praise and always looking down his nose at us like he's better than anybody else. And finally, one of them named Reuben has some sense, and he's thinking, we don't need to do this. But even though he is the oldest and therefore should have been the one most responsible and should have said, guys, stop, we can't do this, he's afraid that they won't follow his leadership. So he, he claims a little plan. He says, you know what? Why don't we just not shed his blood personally? Let's just throw him into this pit. And by the way, the pit was actually a cistern. It was a dugout place for water to be held and stored. You know, they did that in the old days because they didn't have pumps and wells sitting all around. And so they had a place where water should have been stored. But this wouldn't happen to be empty. And, and he said, let's just throw him down in the pit. He's going to die anyway, but then we don't literally have his blood on our hands. You know, starvation will kill him. We won't, you know. So there was a, there was a distinction there, and, and the brother said, sure, that's a good idea. Because Reuben secretly, the Bible tells us, was going to come back and save his brother and, and get him later on out of this pit. Reuben wanders off from the rest of the group, and, and he's like making preparations to come back and to save him. But then something happens while Reuben is gone that he can't anticipate. A caravan of traders comes along, and the Bible tells us that they are Ishmaelites. Now, remember how I said this story, this family, the more you get into it, the more you realize how messed up they are? Guess who the Ishmaelites are? They're their cousins. When they go back to their great-grandpa, there was a split-off between Ishmael, the firstborn son, and then Isaac who came along. Well, these was, this was a bunch of their cousins, a little family reunion going out here in the middle of the desert, surprise family reunion. And they say, hey, kinfolk, hey, cuz, have we got a deal for you? You want to make some money? We want to get this kid off of our hands. And so they make a deal, and they send him down to Egypt on this, uh, on this uh, merchant caravan. Reuben comes back, and he's like, oh, guys, he's gone. What in the world happened? What are we going to tell Dad? And from the way the Bible explains it, it doesn't look they, like they even filled Reuben in and said we sold him. they just like, I don't know. I don't know, Reuben. So I don't know what happened. And they said, we got to come up with some kind of cover story for Dad. And so they take his cloak of many colors 
and they put some animal blood on it, and they bring it back and give it to Jacob. And, you know, it's highly interesting that this animal uh, blood is used to trick him. Because remember, Jacob tricked his own father, Isaac, with a little animal fur, a little animal skin into receiving his blessing. Well, the deception that has been going on and on in this family, it just repeats itself. It just goes down through the generations. And now just as he was a deceiver, he himself is deceived into believing that his son was killed by a wild animal. Uh, Okay, thank you. So, with this issue... What do we learn today about this trip of a lifetime? Number one, we learn that things that affect us, things that happen to us in childhood, often affect us for the rest of our days. Joseph lost his mother when she was birthing his baby brother. So somewhere around seven or ten years of age, Joseph's mother died, and he didn't have her around anymore. He didn't have, all of us today are thinking about our moms, and most of us had good moms that we love and we cared about, and they were there for us. Maybe they weren't perfect, but we think, what in the world would we have done without them? He didn't have mom anymore. Mom was gone, perhaps as early as his seventh year of life. And so maybe you might excuse him as he is a little bit arrogant and bold and as happy to celebrate how superior he is because like a lot of people who doubt themselves and cockiness is their uh, response to it, he didn't have a mom whispering in his ear, son, I love you. Uh, You're going to be okay. He also didn't have a mom who would look over in Jacob and say, bad idea. Don't send him out there with his brothers where there's not any witnesses. That was part of his story in his life. Did it mean God wasn't going to do good things through him? Absolutely not. But his lack of a mother in his life did affect him in great, great ways. We also learn that our decisions in life often carry us much further than we ever imagined they would. Joseph set out that day saying, hey, I'm going a block or two over. Uh, I'm, I'm going to town. You know, Shechem was just like us saying, hey, I'm going to Walmart. It was no big deal. It was a tiny little decision. Dad wants me to go. I don't want to, but yes, I will. And he goes. And there he sees that guy wandering around in the woods and uh, in the field. And once again, he could have said, I'm just going to go back and tell Dad that they weren't here. They weren't where they were supposed to be. But he makes another little tiny decision. You know what? I'll go ahead and follow them. I'll go to Dothan and I'll find out where they are. And that puts him into play in this issue uh, with his brothers and they're just scheming against him to take his life. It'd be really nice if every time that we came to a decision that would be earth-shaking, that would alter the course of our entire life. Wouldn't it be nice if there was some big flashing red light and some warning signs and, and, and other little decisions said, hey, don't worry, be happy. But this one said, stop, pause, flashing light. You need to really make sure you do the right thing. 
But we don't get that kind of thing in life. These decisions come along just like any other decisions. Now, we're supposed to use wisdom, yeah. But sometimes we just have to understand that there's a lot of things in our life that we're not going to understand until much later. There's a lot of things in life where we just got to do our best and then we got to trust God is going to be with us. And we're going to see that God is with Joseph wherever he goes. And at the end of this passage, that's kind of hard to understand. Because basically when you get to the end of the chapter we just read, life is over with. He is a slave in Egypt. No one will ever hear from him again. Do you know that the biblical um, uh, standard and the Old Testament standard, years later when the law was given under, motive, uh, under Moses, do you know what the penalty for kidnapping someone and selling them as a slave was? It was death. It was death because that was seen as taking or stealing a life just as surely as if you stabbed them yourself. Because when they sold him as a slave, they literally stole his life from him and gave it away to the Midianites who had once again traded away to a man named Potiphar. Well, we could go on and on of the lessons that we can learn from this, uh, from this really interesting story. But I want to end with this. If you think your life's bad, think about Joseph. Remember, there's folks that have things even worse than you can imagine. And maybe you've experienced some of what he experienced. Maybe you've had uh, a rough upbringing. Maybe you lost a parent. Maybe you've had people who've betrayed you or hated you in relationships. But just as we're going to see that good people can and do fall into terrible situations all the time, the Bible never says that good, God-loving people who love everybody are going to be exempt from tough things in life. It never says that. But what it does tell us is that God is going to be with us. Our mothers and our fathers, if they are anywhere close to what God wanted them to be, they're, they're an extension of God's love for us, and they teach us how much he loves us if they do it anywhere close to right. But God tells us, even more than them, I'm with you. Moms and dads won't do things perfectly. Moms, I want you to hear that. You won't do things perfectly, but that's okay. God uses all of us, even in our imperfections. He loves us and he's with us wherever we go. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you today. And God, we just want to uh, acknowledge that you're good God, you take us places, you do things in our lives, or you allow us to go in ways we don't understand. You know what's ahead, but we don't. And so we get confused, we get hurt, we get angry, because things don't turn out the way we envisioned them. As if we were somehow in control in the first place. God, I pray that you just help us to remember that every decision we make is not a surprise to God. The choices we make, good ones and even bad ones. Lord, you redeem them. You use them. For those that love you, you bring good out of them. Father, help us today to honor our moms, to help them to understand how vital they are and what a blessing they are. 
And even if they feel like sometimes that they mess up or they're not all they should be, without them, what a void there would be. God, we pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.